Few people on this planet know what it is to be truly despised. Can you blame them? I earn a living fronting an organization that kills 1,200 human beings a day. 1,200 people. We're talking two jumbo jet plane loads of men, women, and children. I mean, there's Attila, Genghis, and me. All right, welcome to the lobby. This is Kevin Grandia, your host. Uh, first podcast. Uh, you know, a lot of people were like, "Hey, why are you doing a podcast?" Um, and you know, there's there's a few reasons. Um, I think the first one is. Uh, by the way, I'm repeating all of this again because it being my first podcast, I actually talked for a half an hour uh, by myself and forgot to record. Um, so that was awesome. So this is actually the second podcast, but the first one anybody's actually hearing. So, you know, why am I starting a podcast? Well, you know, the first thing is I write a lot. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with the work I do, um, I like to write. I write a lot. I was the editor of dsmogblog.com for five years, named one of the top blogs in the world in 2011 by Time Magazine. And anybody who blogs knows that, man, you got to write a lot. And, you know, podcast is appealing to me because I still have opinions even when my fingers are getting a little sore after writing all day. Um, and, you know, so that, that, that's a big piece. Um, you know, a second piece is that, you know, getting a message out there uh, in a different format to an audience at iTunes and Blog Talk Radio and all of that is also appealing to me as somebody who really wants to do something in this world and make a difference, you're always looking for opportunities to do uh, more to get out the message you want to get out. Um, and I guess, you know, the third reason is, is I love podcasts. Um, I listen to a lot, uh, you know, out in the yard. Um, and, you know, I'm here in Washington, D.C., actually moving back to my hometown, uh, Vancouver, Canada, uh, with the family soon enough but in the meantime you know down here uh, anybody in the area knows you got a lot of yard work to do everything grows like crazy down here it drives me nuts but I listen to Kevin Smith uh, and Scott Mosier Smodcast I listen to Joe Rogan's uh, experience um, uh, Rachel Maddow's podcast Bill Maher's podcast um, you know, the, over at Slate Magazine, uh, Political Gab Fest, I think it's called. Tons of them. And, you know, Kevin Smith, I've been listening to him for years. He's not for everybody I know, but he's really popular. Um, not for the faint of heart, um, for those of you who are going to go over and check out Smodcast. Um, but, you know, he, he said, you know, he encouraged people, get out there, uh, use these mediums like podcasts and, uh, and these technologies where we can make our own media. Um, and just like blogs uh, and all these other mediums that are now available to us, whether it be Web 2.0 um, technologies, um, Web 2.0 sounds so old school now, but um, you know all these all these liberating mediums that are accessible to everybody to get a message out, um, much like your own media outlet is really appealing to me. And so I'm going to give it a go. You know what? I know I'm going to get flack for all you haters who are going to hate, uh, you know, whatever. 
you'll be looking back on this when I have millions of audience and people, you know, crying my name, uh, asking for more and more podcasts, I will laugh in your face. Um, so anyways, to get down to it, so uh, this is called The Lobby. Um, it's part of my project called uh, DefineDemocracy.org, the Center for Democracy and Government. It's all about lobbyists. It's all about the analysis, uh, and the research that I'm doing. Um, it's all about the news, the, the, the things that are new out there about the lobby. And the lobby is this unelected group of people who are paid millions and millions of dollars every year to persuade and convince uh, elected politicians and government officials, the people who are supposed to be working on behalf of the people, the individual voters, to convince them of these um, rules and legislation that are favorable to corporations over everyday citizens. And, you know, I'm not anti-corporate, you know, uh, corporations do lots of great stuff. They provide the services. I mean, look, I'm doing this on a on a MacBook computer, um, I'm sitting with a bunch of stuff around me, a, a, you know, a desk and another computer and an iPhone and a beer in my hand. And, you know, uh, all of the corporations are, are provide everything to us in, in many, many ways. So I get that. But there needs to be a balance. You know, uh, corporations are are only one part of the, the society. And, uh, they're batting, I think, way, way above where they should be um, when it comes to the influence they have over the people that we elect. Um, and so, you know, let's just get right into it. Um, you know, um, one of the big lobbies, you know, you heard at the beginning of, of the podcast, and by the way, you know, it's not always going to be just me uh, jibber-jabbering away here. You know, I have lots of friends that I'm going to have on to talk about these issues. I just need to figure out the technology and uh, get that going um, so I can have people on from around the country, around the world and all that to talk about different interesting things. Um, but this week it's just me, you know, I'm trying this out for the first time. So, you know, I'm going to get right into it. You know, at the beginning of this, you heard the intro, that's Nick Naylor um, from Thank You for Smoking. And if there's any group <laughs> uh, within the lobby groups um, that epitomizes um, the worst of the worst, it's uh, Nick Naylor and his character uh, in the movie Thank You for Smoking. And and so, you know, that movie was a few years ago. I think it was like 2000, I'm thinking, maybe earlier, uh, 98. Anyways, um, you know, there's still a huge tobacco lobby um, in the U.S. Um, talking to our, our the U.S. Senate, talking to the elected officials in the House of Representatives, talking to people in the White House, talking to people at the Department of Health, um, the Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, uh, the Internal Revenue Service, a lot of tax issues. Um, there's still a ton of, of people, you know, I mean, they're not, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if they're all like a Nick Naylor. Um, I've met a couple who actually surprisingly are. Um, one of them um, who will remain nameless because I'm actually doing a big research project on them right now, so that'll be coming soon. But... You know, who is the face of this modern-day tobacco lobby? Who are these people that are getting paid money by tobacco companies to persuade uh, the elected officials in our government? Um, in 2011, you know, I wrote uh, this week, found, you know, did some research on, on this 
um, you know, over $20 million was spent on lobbyists um, in Washington, D.C. on behalf of the tobacco companies. Um, so that's 20 million bucks spent by tobacco companies in 2011 to pay for people to represent tobacco companies' views to members of Congress, the Senate, the White House, government agencies. Um, it's a lot of people. You can imagine the access that these people have. This is why people, you know, this is why corporations pay for lobbyists. Not that they're eloquent. Um, it's that they have the inside track. They can pick up a phone and phone a senator and say, hey, senator, do you want to meet up with me and, and somebody I'm working with from R.J. Reynolds? Uh, do you want to you know, meet up and talk to this, this uh, representative, Lorillard Tobacco, about you know, concerns about legislation coming up? Um, you know, most of us uh, can't do that. You know, uh, we can try and phone, get a meeting. Um, we'd have to come to D.C. most likely. Most of them are here most of the time. Um, you know, it's, it's just not something that the average citizen can do. I mean, we're all busy leading our lives. Well, these uh, lobbyists uh, here in Washington, um, the tobacco lobby getting paid $20 million last year uh, to just you know, talk and try and convince and overwhelm our, our elected officials with their information convince them to do what's best for these companies instead of what's best necessarily for the individuals and, and people of, of the United States. Um, you know, an example of one of these companies is a group called Capital Legislative Strategies. They worked on behalf of the tobacco company Altria. Altria is interesting. You've probably never heard of Altria. It's actually uh, R.J. Uh, Reynolds, uh, or sorry, uh, R.J. Reynolds? Uh, yeah, R.J. Reynolds. Um, now let me look that up. I don't want them all on me. Um, yeah, so Altria is... Philip Morris. Philip Morris. Uh, they also own um, St. Michel Winery. Actually a pretty good wine. Um, so Altria is actually Philip Morris. I'm... It's either it, it, it was bought, or I think they might have changed their name because, you know, Philip Morris doesn't have the best name um, in the public these days. Anyway, so Altria uh, uh, hires a group called Capital Legislative Strategies. Um, you know, they paid them $180,000 in 2011 um, to look at any issue affecting the tobacco industry, including the Family Smoking Prevention and Tobacco Act. Now, the Family Smoking Prevention and Tobacco Act goes back a few years. Um, it was uh, in 2009. It was uh, brought into law by President Obama, and it and it there was a bunch of stuff in there. But importantly, I think the most important pieces were it uh, it limited the types of advertising that tobacco companies could do to youth. Um, or it tried to ban it um, uh, through limiting the types of things that tobacco companies could do in their advertisements and where they could advertise. Um, it also put uh, new regulations on flavored cigarettes and cigars and so sweet cigars and all of this kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, it, it took the packaging and it 
didn't allow for uh, or it or it mandated how much of the packaging on a cigarette had to have those nasty warnings with the gnarled black teeth and pregnant women smoking and all these types of things. So this capital legislative strategies was paid $180,000 by Altria, um, also known as Philip Morris. Um, the guy who the lobbyist, his name is Charlie Melody. Uh, he's the president of capital legislative strategies and his company was paid 180,000 bucks to represent the views of Philip Morris to senators, congressmen, White House officials, and that kind of thing. Another group um, with a similar name, Capital Tax Partners. Um, the lobbyist filing, and by the way, where I get a lot of this information is in what's called the Senate Lobby Disclosure Database. Um, under, under lobby disclosure rulings and the way that they're trying to limit the power of the lobby is that if you're a lobbyist, and you're working on behalf of a corporation on a piece of legislation, you have to report every quarter how much money you were paid, what issues you're working on, what company you're working on behalf of, and what um, government agencies are you talking to. So, you know, for instance, um, we know that from the, the Senate disclosure documents that this capital tax partners with this uh, woman, uh, sorry, it's a man, I believe, Lindsay Hooper. Um, the Capital Tax Partners was paid $320,000 for their work, um, and they were looking at matters dealing with tobacco taxation, corporate taxation, tax reform. Um, other people, you know, it lists, it's a whole team of people, right? It's not usually just one person. There's a whole team of people descending on our elected officials. Um, Jonathan Talisman, Richard Grafmeyer, Joseph Mikrut, William McKenney, Lawrence Wilcock, and Christopher Javins. So you've never heard of any of these people. I've never heard of any of these people. But they got paid a whole bunch of money, um, $320,000 to be exact, to talk to people that you elected um, about issues <clears throat> affecting Philip Morris. Um, you know, a big one, you know, Washington DC works on such big numbers, you know, $320,000 to me is a lot, a lot of money, uh, and that definitely gets a lot of influence, but check this one out. It's a Laurel Art Tobacco Company. They're the makers of the popular cigarette brands like Newport and Kent. They hired a law firm. A lot of times, uh, law firms in DC are, the, are lobbyists, and so they'll have kind of their law firm, but then they have a legislative group they usually call them, or, you know, a government and law group or policy direction group, that kind of thing. So, so this law firm, Dick Stein and Shapiro, was paid $2.6 by Lorillard, the maker of Newport and Kent and all these things. Dick Stein and Shapiro paid $2.6 bucks to monitor federal legislation and activity related to tobacco industry, monitor the implementation of PACT Act. The PACT Act was this uh, piece of legislation that looked at that looked at um, counterfeit cigarettes and cigars and smuggling of cigars and lots of tax issues around that. Uh, the Candy Tobacco Tax Parity Act. Um, I haven't actually looked into that one. I started to look into it. I'll report back on another podcast or I'll write something on defindemocracy.org or something like that. Um, can, can, who knew? Candy Tobacco. 
Um, and so this guy, Andrew Zosner, he's the head of the government and law group. I actually did a, a larger piece on Andrew Zosner, um, and you can check it out online at defindemocracy.org. But basically this Andrew Zosner was uh, an energy lobbyist, uh, an expert in energy policy, um, but hasn't been doing much energy work lately. Has been doing a lot of work on behalf of big tobacco companies, at least in 2011, um, was doing a lot of work on, on behalf of big tobacco companies. So Dick Stein and Shapiro, a law firm you've never heard of, um, at least I haven't. Um, maybe you have, I don't know, um, <laughs> uh, $2.6 million. Um, they also worked on the Smoking Prevention and Tobacco Control Act. Um, the one, the, the Family Smoking and Prevention Tobacco and Control Act, the one that, that I mentioned earlier about limiting what tobacco companies could do as far as advertising to youth. And um, these, these documents that you get, you actually don't get to know who they talk to as in specific representatives. Um, you also don't get to know where they stand on any piece of legislation. You have to kind of go and do other work on that. Um, but I can just imagine what somebody like Lorillard Tobacco is paying Dick Stein and Shapiro 2.6 million in 2011 to talk to lawmakers about the implementation of the Family Smoking Prevention and Tobacco Control Act. Um, I would love to know more about that, as I'm sure lots of others would. Um, switching gears a bit, um, talking about kind of some uncomfortable findings um, uh, relating to the Democratic National Caucus. Um, you know, uh, this has been reported a little before, but I, I looked around, um, I saw that it hadn't got much coverage, and even if it had, I think bringing these issues up over and over again is the only way we can kind of punch through all the noise. And so this is about a guy uh, named Jeff Berman. Uh, Jeff Berman was a prominent member of the 2008 Obama election team and the Democratic National Committee. Um, he works for a law firm, again, um, uh, Brian Cave, it's a law firm, but they do a lot of lobby work. In this case, Berman works in the Public Policy and Government Affairs group of this Brian Cave group. Uh, Jeff Berman, you know, big time guy in the Democratic National Convention and Obama's election campaign. In fact, in 08, he was the national delegate director for the Obama presidential campaign. And his bio um, for Brian Cave actually says, you know, that um, he's a very active member of the Democratic National Committee, served on the Democratic Change Commission, um, which was established to improve national Democratic Party rules following the 2008 presidential election. So Jeff Berman, big time guy, kind of a um, big in the Obama campaign in 08, still big uh, part, of, part of things in the Democratic National Committee. Um, 08 Politi Politico article talks about Berman, describes him as pivotal to Obama's success in the Obama campaign's unsung hero. Well, as it turns out, you know, this unsung hero of the Obama election in 2008 just so happens uh, to be working on behalf of TransCanada Pipelines in 2010. Now, for those of you not familiar with TransCanada Pipelines, this is the company um, that is looking to build what's called the Keystone XL Pipeline. It'll pipe down a larger amount than already is being pumped down from the Alberta oil sands up in Canada, a large 
um, a large deposit of, of this dirty crude that uh, I guess the best way to describe oil sands is it's kind of like taking tar and, uh, you know, rooftop sticky tar and mixing it up in sand. And then uh, that's what the tar sand actually looks like. And then you actually have to take that goo and heat it up and separate it and, and separate out this tar. And then that gets processed into uh, gasoline and all of these things. And it, it's pretty nasty stuff. And so this XL... Keystone Pipeline Projects wants to bring more of it into the U.S. from Canada. And Jeff Berman, um, this unsung hero of the Democratic Party and uh, the Obama uh, re-election, or sorry, the Obama campaign in, in 2008, uh, Jeff Berman in 2010, working on behalf of his lobby firm, um, they were paid 240000 bucks. Uh, to monitor climate change legislation and presidential permit process for the Trans-Canada Keystone Pipeline project. Now, this story, when I put it out again, uh, like I said, it's been out there before, but it got a lot of it got a lot of attention. Um, Berman, um, who is being paid um, to represent Trans-Canada Keystone Pipeline to the Office of the President, the State Department, House of Representatives, and the U.S. Senate. Um, it's kind of an uncomfortable situation here because a lot of progressive community members, uh, environmentalists, social justice activists, and those types, um, which tend to vote Democratic in the, in the elections, are very much against this Keystone XL pipeline. And so to see this big-time uh, Democratic National Committee member, um, Obama election player, lobbying to the Obama White House on the XL Keystone Pipeline, something that so many within the progressive movement are actively working to stop, um, made quite a bit of a, a bit of a story and people are angry about it. And I think, I think rightly so. Um, you know, in, in August, 2011, Last year, over a thousand protesters, some of you might remember this, a thousand protesters led by 350.org and Sierra Club and um, Greenpeace and others um, were arrested. A thousand people were arrested in front of the White House to show just how angry they were about the Keystone XL pipeline. And it's upsetting to a lot of those people to see that that I think the party that they support or, or, or tend to support um, has people within it that are being paid big sums of money, in this case $240,000, going to Brian Cave Law Firm to pay for Jeff Berman's access that he has to the White House. And so, you know, again, we have um, people within the Democratic Party, uh, people part of the Obama um, political machine who we trust or think uh, want, represent a certain worldview that, that many other people have, you have them actually actively working on behalf of companies like TransCanada who are causing all sorts of controversy amongst the progressive left um, with the construction of, of this pipeline that's going to bring more and more of this very carbon intensive tar sand oil into the United States. And so, like I said, that story piqued a lot of people's interests. And 
you know, moving a, a kind of it's in, it, now that I think about it, it's actually kind of in the same vein. This next piece, it's uh, a story about the Koch brothers, and now um, the Koch brothers. Um, I spent many many years researching this group prior to them becoming what I guess can best be described as the pariahs of the right wing um, Republican Tea Party machine. Um, the Koch brothers, for those of you who don't know them, um, are David and Charles Koch. They're extremely wealthy. I believe they're like sixth and seventh most wealthiest billionaires in the United States. Um, they own a company, a private company called Koch Industries. Koch Industries is the second at most, uh, the second largest private company in the United States. And they've been pumping tens of millions of dollars into uh, right-wing extreme agendas, right-wing activists, things like the Tea Party, a group called Americans for Prosperity. They funded climate change deniers. Uh, they they funded it all. They I even uncovered a group um, that they were working with, or or that one of their parent companies was working with that actually promotes formaldehyde. Uh, formaldehyde being the cancerous chemical. Um, found in naturally in trees, but of course in large quantities, it's it causes cancer. Um, formaldehyde Council, so Coke Industries, um, and one of their one of their companies, Georgia Pacific, um, supports and was a member of this Formaldehyde Council that actually lobbies um, in favor of formaldehyde. Anyways, it just never ends, does it? Um, and so the Koch brothers um, have been funding a lot of, uh, and Koch Industries have been funding lots of Republicans in this in this election cycle that we're in right now. Mainly, surprise, surprise, um, Republicans. Um, and the but looking through kind of a, a few of the databases the other day, uh, I came across the fact that uh, Koch Industries Political Action Committee um, in the first six months of the um, of this year had donated 1.1 million to candidates running for the House of Representatives with the vast majority of that. I mean like 99% of it going to Republican candidates. But to my surprise, 23,000 in donations has actually been accepted by Democratic candidates running in the election. Uh, in this case, it's a gentleman named John Barrow running for a seat in Georgia, uh, Dan Boren running in Oklahoma, Colin Peterson running in Minnesota, and Mike Ross running in Arkansas. Now, you know, people have told me, well, you know, these are blue dog Democrats. These are Democrats, I guess I call them dinos, Democrats in name only. They're actually very conservative. Um, they're a bit of a problem within the Democratic Party. Um, but hey, they are Democrats. And... And so these four candidates, um, I think they're all actually running for re-election in Congress um, in the House of Representatives, took small sums of money from Coke Industries. And I guess, you know, yes, they're blue dogs. Yes, this shouldn't be a surprise or this is what people are telling me. It shouldn't be a surprise. But it seems a little crazy even for a blue dog candidate. I mean... You look here, Dan Boren's taking 2000 bucks in money from the Coke Industries Political Action Committee. Does he really need this $2,000 to 
for his campaign? Is he that desperate for money to actually get in bed with what is considered the most reviled and hated um, company when it comes to left-wing politics? Uh, did he really need to take that money? You know, for me, it's a Democratic candidate taking money from Coke Industries seems to me akin to an anti-war press protester taking money from a bomb maker. And it all seems really strange. Um, and, and again, I mean, we're, we're calling the, the Center for Democracy and Government, we're calling for, uh, for these four candidates to, to rise up and rip up those checks or return the money to Coke Industries. Um, you can check that out on defindemocracy.org. Uh, there's a link to the petition, petition over on change.org. Not many people have signed it yet, but I haven't really been pushing it too hard yet, or maybe people are so underwhelmed by the fact that Democratic candidates are actually taking money from Coke Industries that they're not willing to take action on it. I don't know what it is, but uh, it seems pretty strange to me. And with that, you know, uh, visit defindemocracy.org. Um, Share this podcast, subscribe to this podcast. That would be really cool. Um, you know, it's only going to get better from here as I figure out these technologies and, and you know, actually record podcasts when I'm sitting here talking. And I, I hope you enjoy it. Um, you know, I'm going to be putting these up on iTunes. Uh, I'm going to be sharing them out on Twitter and Facebook, posting them around, you know, lots of opportunities for feedback and stuff like that. So, you know, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, share it around with friends, tell me what you want to hear, tell me if this sucks, tell me how I can improve it, and until next week, uh, that's The Lobby.